Welcome to the Resell Sex Podcast, and this week we're talking about R with Joe Belezzo. But first, it is the closing days of registration for Resus X with the early bird discount. If you want to come to Philadelphia and learn with the rock stars of resuscitation, now is the time to register for the conference and the ultrasound pre-course for a ridiculously low price. Last few days, take advantage of our Labor Day sale where we're also throwing in an extra conference, the ROSC conference, if you're coming live. Go to resusx.com right now and register. And now back to the podcast. Joe Belezzo is a self-described pit doc, but in my eyes and many others, he's much more than that. He is the pioneer of emergency department ECMO. And in this lecture, he talks about the initiation of his program, how it got started, and one remarkable stave of a patient named Ralph that you just have to hear about it. Joe's not only a close friend, but he's a phenomenal educator, and I learned something every time I listen to him. Let's listen to Joe Belezzo talk about E. My name is Joe Belezzo. I'm a pit doc, an emergency room physician practicing in a suburban non-academic level two trauma center in San Diego, California. Over 12 years ago, we began doing ECMO in the emergency department, primarily in patients with refractory ventricular fibrillation and typically done after exhausting all other options. My first case was on July 28, 2010. His name was Ralph, and you'll hear more about Ralph in a little bit. Anyway, At the time, 2010, really nobody else was doing ED ECMO. So the goal was to figure out how to take a device which was initially designed for support of cardiothoracic surgeons in the OR and apply it to patients in the ER in cardiac arrest. So back in 2010, we wanted to learn this ECMO thing. But the problem was, at the time, nobody was really doing it yet. So I turned to my dear friend, one of the biggest influences in emergency medicine and critical care, Dr. Scott Weingart for advice. And together with Scott and Zach Shiner, we started the ED ECMO podcast with the idea that we'd bring ECMO experts from around the world onto the podcast to interview them so we could learn from them. Then we had a few more survivors, a few more survivors and a few more, and ED ECMO was beginning to take foothold in emergency departments around the world. In 2014, we began running an international resuscitation conference called Reanimate. And we just completed our last course just last month. So with that background, you're probably thinking that this is going to be a talk about how to do eCPR, or for that matter, how to do it really, really fast. Uh, And yes, we've honed the procedure to the point where we're able to initiate bypass in the ED within about six minutes. But this is not a talk about ECMO procedures. This is actually a talk about, well, I guess procedural excellence about how you should be doing every procedure you do in medicine. So let's get this out of the way. It seems silly to have to say this out loud, but we all know that neurointact survival decreases the longer it takes to restore perfusion to brain vital organs, either via ROSC or by ECMO support. So for these patients, the faster we can get them on ECMO, the better chances they have at meaningful survival. Now, you would think that speed is of the essence. You should simply move faster. The problem is, when you move faster, you start to make mistakes. Mistakes ultimately cost you more time. So I'm a motorcycle guy. I've been riding motorcycles all my adult life. And you might be asking yourself, what the hell is an ER doctor doing riding motorcycles? 
Well, that's a good question, and I don't have the time right now to discuss my own pathology, but suffice it to say that I've never seen a motorcycle parked outside of a psychiatrist's office. Anyway, in the world of motorcycling, there's a thing called whiskey throttle. It happens usually to new riders who improperly open the grip of the throttle. They're holding the grip of the throttle the wrong way with the right hand, and when they accelerate too fast and dump the clutch, they're thrown backwards, causing them to inadvertently completely open the throttle, and things get out of control really quickly. So, in resuscitation, patients who arrive to our ED in refractory cardiac arrest, who meet eCPR criterion, and get put on heart-lung bypass or ECMO in about six minutes or so. But how? Well, let's talk about that. There are three concepts I'd like to share today. The first concept is that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. The second is the idea of the culture of resuscitation excellence. And the last is the hardwiring of code choreography. Okay, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. A saying that we think originated in special forces, Navy SEALs, I think. And the related term is festina lente, a Latin translation of the ancient Roman term meaning to make haste slowly. Let's face it, in the military, when you're dealing with lethal weapons, there is a very skewed distribution of outcomes. You're either dead or you're not dead, and there is no alternative. So if it takes one second to fire off a shot at your enemy and you miss, well, you're in trouble. They shoot you. It's definitely better to move slower and take maybe one and a half seconds to take your shot to make sure you hit them. That one half second you saved by being faster but missing your target could be the difference between life and death. Okay, let's take an example from our world. When putting an arresting patient on ECMO, the mission-critical move is first and single stick access to the common femoral artery. That's it. Hit the CFA just once, enter the vessel, place your wire, and you too can do ECMO. Hitting that vessel more than once causes unnecessary bleeding, which is very bad, both in the moment and then down the road. I'll give you a real-world example. Patient arrives to the ED with CPR in progress. You're excited. You've trained for this. Deep breath. Patient gets moved from the ambulance gurney to the hospital gurney, and you're on. Okay, just like you trained. Quickly, ultrasound probe to skin. Needle through skin. On ultrasound, you see what you think is the common femoral artery, but there's just so much movement from the chest compressions. You put the needle tip into the vessel and try to pass the wire. Then, the nurse code team leader calls for a shock, and someone yells, clear. You got to drop the needle and wire, or you're going to get shocked yourself. And bam, shock is delivered. But the needle tip, the needle tip is, has fallen out of the artery. And before you could get the wire into the vessel, the needle tip fell out of the artery, and now a hematoma is forming. CPR continues. Now we've lost landmarks. We've lost ultrasound visualization because of that giant hematoma. This is whiskey throttle. Point one here is that we stop chest compressions when we begin the ECMO cannulation process. Why? Well, for the most of these out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients, they've proven that they aren't responding to shocks anyway. This is mainly because they're typically outside of the electrical phase of refractory ventricular fibrillation. The single most important factor in this patient's survival is getting them onto ECMO. This is the one time when it's okay to briefly pause compressions and stop attempts at defibrillation. And, in haste, other mistakes were made in this case. Did we take the extra minute to sterilize and drape the field so we don't have infection down the road? Did we take the extra time to stop CPR during the vessel access to give you a better chance at hitting a non-moving target? Festina lente. Make haste slowly. Next, 
the culture of resuscitation and excellence. Let me tell you a little story about how all this culture stuff unfolded at our shop over a decade ago. You remember me talking about this Ra Ralph guy? My first ECMO case was this guy who came into our ER with refractory VF. He got 68 minutes of low-flow CPR before I got him onto ECMO. 68 minutes of CPR. Ultimately, he went to the cath lab, got his LED stented, and 12 years later, he's alive and doing great. In fact, Ralph joined us at Reanimate this last month. And then we had another survival, uh, survivor, and then another survivor. And yes, anecdote does not make evidence. But this seemed uncanny at the time. So we learned in real time, resuscitative ECMO, and we helped shape the landscape of extracorporeal resuscitation, or ECPR, in the emergency department. Pre-Ralph, we did things like most every, everyone else does. It's the traditional ACLS. We blow in the mouth, we push on the chest, repeat that three times, and call it a day. That's ACLS, and survival rates are dismal. What was previously a culture of nihilism in our ER and any ER, pre-Ralph, turned into a culture of hope. See, once you start seeing patients who were totally dead, and now you're making them totally not dead, well, it changes how you look at things. Hope does that. It makes people push harder, move faster, move with purpose. And from a time when patients who arrived to our ER 100% dead and stayed dead, to now where many of them are able to go home to their families, well, it's a powerful thing. And hope will change your culture. Here's how it works in our shop right now. Every coding patient who comes into the ER who arrives in cardiac arrest gets an ultrasound-guided femoral arterial line placed and a femoral vein central line placed. It's never in question. So we get really good at placing femoral lines under duress. And now, when I do get that arterial line, without even asking for it, I have a nurse handing me a dripping transduction set to my right hand to transduce the blood pressure and replace the pulse checks, just like Scott Weingart talked to you about early this morning in today's lectures. We have a nurse code team leader who runs our codes, and you're gonna hear about more about that in a lecture coming up later this morning. Last, key concept number three is code choreography. Knowing that speed is of the essence, we start looking for ways that we can improve efficiencies and decrease waste. It's the Toyota lean principles kind of a thing. Here's an example of how we set up our eCPR codes. We use two teams. The ECMO team is here on the left in yellow, and the ACLS team is here on the right in blue. Now, the point here is not to show you how to run your codes or where to position your people or your equipment. That's up to you. The point is, is to have a plan. Have a plan. This is our room setup for a coding patient who may be a candidate for eCPR, but this plan is actually our backup plan because there's a way better to, way to do this and choreograph all of this stuff. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the word alfresco as taking place or located in the open, outdoors. Yeah, we move our CPR patients from ambulance gurney to hospital gurney outside, outside. Now, we do have the luxury of being in San Diego, California, which is likely the easiest place on the planet to be a weather forecaster. I'll give you that. But I think these principles can be applied in any location if you're willing to get a little bit creative. So here's the thing. Why transfer the patient in the tight confines of an ER resuscitation room when you can do it in the vast space in the ambulance bay outdoors? Or if weather's an issue, do it in a hallway or a trauma room or whatever. Just don't do it in that tiny little emergency department patient care room. So we move the patient over to the hospital gurney and place on a mechanical chest compression device if one hasn't already been going. Then carefully, slowly and smoothly roll that patient into the resuscitation room. 
That's CPR alfresco. This is a short video highlighting each of the concepts I talked with you about today. CPR alfresco being done outside with transport of the patient into the resuscitation suite on a mechanical chest compression device. Next, moving slow and moving smooth actually improves the speed to complete the task. There is no more intense procedure than eCPR. But look how smoothly this cannulator is moving. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And finally, the culture of resuscitation excellence. Here, we have two doctors working together, one doing TEE up top to help the cannulator assure proper ECMO cannula placement. And we also see three ER nurses here assisting with the procedure. Wire assistants, not doctors, not ECMO specialists, not ECMO nurses. These are trained ER nurses who are trained in the cannulation process. This is how you build a culture of excellence. My name is Joe Belezzo, and I thank you for your attention.